than a quarter of evangelicals don't believe that the Bible is true. Biblical inerrancy. Let's talk about it with Hugh Ross on Steve Brown, etc. He's an old white guy, an author, broadcaster, and seminary professor who's sick of religion. And he's brought friends. Please welcome Steve Brown, etc. We are so glad you're here in our busy time to take time to be with us is a high and holy compliment. And frankly, for us to take time to be with you should be a high and holy compliment. We are facing unbelievable weather conditions in central Florida. They're telling us we're gonna get wind at 60 miles an hour, maybe a tornado or two. And if we were smart, we would be out of here somewhere else. So the fact that we're spending time with you is a gift. And I hope, <laughs> you know, we could die in the middle of this program and that would create great stories, but it would not be the most pleasant way I want to go. <laughs> are, are you going a little over the top with yeah, this? <laughs> I don't want you to think I, would go with us. I don't want you to think I'm nervous or anything. But this <laughs> or is paranoid. <laughs> it's only interesting if we get good video. Yeah, that's right. As long as we get good video, who cares? Keep the cameras rolling! <laughs> hey, if you were wondering, uh, I'm Steve, the aforementioned old white guy. Matthew Porter's here. Matthew has a deep theological question. <laughs> Can you be too heavy for the rapture? Asking for a friend. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> Our producer, Jinx, is in the little glass booth. Jinx, your goal last year was to say no more. To say no more. Correct. Were you able to do that? Absolutely. Not. <laughs> I did. I really did. And, uh, I'm going to say it some more, too. Good. Right. Just as long it's as It's a very you don't... easy. Oh, I know. It's hard the first year, but I'm on my third now, so. Yeah, well, you just. <laughs> Ask me a question. As long as you don't say no to us, yeah. we're okay with that. Our one man IT department, John Myers, is in the tech bunker. Nobody knows this, but that Y2K bug thing ended up being nothing because John cut the red wire just in time. <laughs> <laughs> and he doesn't have all of his Christmas decorations down. He has a Disney World house over Christmas. And with this wind and tornado stuff, he's more nervous than I am. <laughs> and Dr. George Bingham is the president of Key Life. George says if you make a man a fire... <laughs> This is so bad. It's true, though. <laughs> he'll he'll warm, be warm for a day, but set a man on fire, and he'll be warm for the rest of his life. So will I for eternity. Yeah. <laughs> and Kathy Wyatt, of course, is the soft feminine side of this program. Kathy believes few things in life can't be improved with just a little more butter. <laughs> we got a great guest, and he's one of our favorite, maybe our most favorite guest, Dr. Hugh Ross. Um, he's an astronomer, a teaching pastor, 
the founder and president of Reasons to Believe, and that organization is dedicated to communicating the compatibility of science and the Christian faith. I'll give you the website sometime during this broadcast, so be prepared with a pen and paper so you can write it down. Incredible stuff at that place. He's spoken at hundreds of universities, conferences, and labs around the world. And Dr. Ross has also written uh, numerous books, and his latest, which I hold in my nicotine-stained fingers, is Rescuing Inerrancy, a Scientific Defense. Hugh, thanks for spending some time with us. We appreciate it very much. You well, it's always a pleasure with you guys. Listen, so. <laughs> you well, what, you better start at scratch because we have a lot of people who are listening and watching who didn't even know there was a problem. So let's start with what in the world. Inerrancy means that God dropped a golden book into mm -hmm. our hands, complete and finished, and we at that point had his words and could depend on them, right? Correct. <laughs> Don't do that to me, you. <laughs> no, what, define inerrancy. Well, I think the International Council of Biblical Inerrancy did a masterful job uh, defining what a biblical inerrancy is and what it is not. I mean, it's 300 theologians from all over the world that spent a decade uh, studying the doctrine of biblical inerrancy, and they wound up writing some wonderful statements of affirmations and denials. And frankly, I think their statements on hermeneutics are just as important as their statements on the doctrine of inerrancy. And then they also accompanied that with 2,000 pages of commentary. And the wonderful thing is it can, it's all archived. It's at the Dallas Theological Seminary website. Anyone in the world can read as much as they want of what they came up with. Uh, and this was back in the 70s and 80s. What has happened recently is a number of conservative Christian theologians have said, we can no longer abide by the definition set up by the International Council of Biblical Inerrancy. And so they've redefined biblical inerrancy. Uh, many of them still refer to themselves as biblical inerrantists but it's a very different definition than what the 300 theologians came up with uh, some 40 to 50 years ago. What, what was, what's the change? How can you believe in biblical authority and inerrancy and then compromise? What, what happened? Well, what happened is they said when the Holy Spirit is speaking through the scriptures, that is inerrant but that the Holy Spirit partners with the human authors and tolerates the errors that they have made. And they're saying that it's recent scientific discoveries that now compel this redefinition of biblical inerrancy. And it particularly applies to the early chapters of Genesis and, and the book of Romans. Those are the two books that uh, we see theologians saying you know, because of advances in science, uh, we can no longer hold that these texts are literal, literal and historical. 
That's another approach where they say, hey, we think it's completely inerrant, uh, but that it's a mistake to read uh, Genesis, the first 11 chapters, literally and historically. And uh, we don't think Paul really understood uh, what was going on in the book of Genesis or the origin of human beings. And uh, even the doctrine of original sin is now being said, hey, because of advances in anthropology and genetics, we have to redefine what Paul is saying uh, about the origin of sin. You know, that's where I started. I went to a graduate school of theology just this side of Waco uh, at Boston University. And so I would have said what they are now saying at the beginning of my faith walk. I would have simply said, but of course, you, you, you know, we can add to the canon. We can subtract from it. It makes mistakes. They're obvious mistakes. Graf Wellhausen's documentary hypothesis allows us to separate and on and on and on. And then something happened to me. And uh, it happened to you, too, in a different way. And I, wa I don't know... You can't tell the long uh, part of the story, but kind of give us a brief of what happened to you when you opened the Bible. Well, I opened the Bible. I said, I'm going to put it in the best possible interpretive light. And uh, if I find a provable error or contradiction, that would be evidence for me. This is a book that's written by humans not inspired by the one that created the universe. Because of my scientific background, I recognize that everything I see in nature is consistent, harmonious. Uh, there's no contradictions or incongruities. I expect that if God is speaking to us through a book, it's going to have the same characteristics. So I spent two years going through the Bible, an hour or two a day, looking for a provable error or contradiction. Couldn't come up with any. And the more I've studied the Bible, the more I realize the entirety of it is indeed true, not just respect to history and doctrine, but science and geography. It's true at every subject that it addresses. That is so cool mm. and so good and so profound. you got to get this book, and I don't want to kid you. It's not an easy book to write because it goes everywhere. It covers every topic. It deals with every issue in a cogent, balanced, and understandable way. It's called Rescuing Inerrancy, a scientific defense. They're philosophers and theologians and metaphysicians who can defend biblical authority and inerrancy, but it's rare when an incredible a uh, credentialed scientist does that. And that's what this book is about. And you'll find it helpful to your walk with Christ and your faith in Him to be faithful at every point in your life. Guys, this is really hard work and we have to take periods of rest. So we're going to do that. Maybe grab a quit nap and then return.
Hey, thanks for listening to Steve Brown, etc. And if you're enjoying the show, chances are your friends and family would too, right? So help us spread the word by sharing a link, clicking subscribe on YouTube. And if you think about it, drop us a review on your favorite podcast platform, iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify. We're pretty much everywhere. Hey, is there one called Podblaster? I mean, it feels like there should be, right? But like no E in Blaster. Just Blaster. 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 Anyhow, that's how the colons do it. Hi, this is Steve Brown. And in case you didn't know, one of the main reasons Key Life exists is to remind believers that God isn't mad at his children. Why am I telling you this? Because our weekly email, Key Life Connection, takes the best of the videos, articles, and puts them right in your inbox. We'd love for you to try it. It's free. Go to keylife.org slash subscribe. You always do have a seat at our table. We're hanging out with Dr. Hugh Ross, and his latest book is called Rescuing Inerrancy, A Scientific Defense. Dr. Ross, you mentioned in the last segment, just briefly touched on the issue of original sin, and and um, that's you get into that in Chapter 18, and I was... I was reading through that chapter, and you talked about the fact that some theologians challenge the centrality of the doctrine of original sin on the grounds that the Orthodox Church doesn't officially endorse it. And yet, while they don't endorse it, um, they do require belief that Adam's sin morally corrupted human nature in such a way, I'm reading this because I'll never remember it, in such a way that the corruption was transmitted to all his offspring. Why, I think I know the answer, but I feel a whole lot better if you tell me, why is this so crucial? The whole, the understanding, the comprehension, the, you know, the acknowledgement of this whole issue of original sin and and how we got it. Well, first of all, I'm making the point that, uh, yes, the Orthodox Church doesn't word the doctrine of original sin like we Protestants do, but it's simply a semantic difference. They word it differently. And so I think they really do believe that all of us human beings get our sin from Adam. I mean, when you read their statement, it's consistent with that uh, conclusion. But what's happening is that uh, theologians are looking at the genetic evidence and saying, wow, it looks like uh, if you look at the genetic diversity of human beings, we have to be descended from thousands of individuals, not two. And they're convinced that the geneticists uh, have the goods. And so that's why I put a whole chapter in the book. In fact, it's the longest chapter in the book, basically making the point, hey, genetics is a very complex science. And if you actually read the genetic literature, you'll find several articles making the point that uh, looking at the present genetic diversity in a population of mammals will not give you an accurate number of the original uh, population. Uh, And the longer the generation time, Uh, the more you're going to be off on what you're going to discern. And we humans have the longest generation time. I mean, if you're a woman, 
it takes 24 years to become fully mature. If you're a man, it takes 25. Uh, so uh, we would expect that. In fact, people have written in the scientific literature, looking at a present day genetic diversity for mammalian species is useless for determining an original population. So the bottom line is there is no scientific refutation uh, of the fact that what the Bible says, that we're all descended from two individuals, a literal Adam and a literal Eve. Mm. Mm. Francis Schaefer, who um, was a friend of mine, said, uh, said, and I remember this years ago and thinking, man, that's important. He said, you can look at a time schedule and you can say that a day equals a long extended period. But the one thing you can't mess with is Adam and Eve. Uh, right. And because the whole infrastructure of the Christian faith is built on uh, there being a literal Adam and Eve, a first Adam and a second Adam. And I've thought about that since and applied it to you because you're not a young earth person and you're not silly in your scientific views. You, you have a model that works and works incredibly well. Um, and even your enemies are forced to say that to you. So I just wanted to... Well Go ahead. You're making an interesting point there that uh, if you're going to put Adam and Eve, say, 6,000 years ago, you are going to have difficulty making that work with any reasonable genetics model. But what you notice in Genesis 2, it describes, describes God creating Adam and Eve and putting them in a garden where four rivers come close together. It names the rivers. We know where those rivers flow from because Genesis 2 tells us explicitly, and the only place where they come together is now 200 feet below sea level, which mm -hmm. means that God must have created Adam and Eve sometime during the last ice age. So it puts Adam and Eve uh, back at a time uh, when there's no problem with the genetic data. On the other hand, I do see theologians that I cite in the book who try to put Adam and Eve back a million years ago or even earlier or half a million years ago. And I basically argue uh, that that's very challenging to make that work with everything that the Bible says about Adam and Eve. And so pushing him back into the last ice age, I think is completely compatible with what the Bible says. I had to argue uh, that biblical inerrancy would require that, but trying to push him back several ice ages before us, that's the big challenge. Man, so... What are you crazy? You <laughs> you've offended everybody. Do you know that. <laughs> you you've got courage that amazes me. All this well, I think uh, I'm quite comfortable if the young Earth creationists uh, critique us just as much as the theistic evolutionists. Mm. I'm a little bit concerned about only get critique from one side and not the other. So, mm -hmm. so you wave the when, equal opportunity. I, I know yeah. you have to walk through that field, but you don't have to wave a red flag at that bull every time you do. <laughs> I, just, I, I try to wave the right red flag in a nice, gentle way. I, our goal is to persuade these theistic evolutionists and young earth creationists there's a better way to defend biblical inerrancy. 
I just think it's amazing that somebody thinks they need to apologize for the Bible because the science is right, the Bible is wrong. I was just reading Leviticus, and he's all the Byzantine rules and thinking, like, these people didn't know about germs. I mean, there's other reasons. <laughs> okay, there's other reasons. But he could have gone, well, listen, there's this thing called microbes, and, and he's like, well, you guys are going to learn about that later. Right now, just do what I say. <laughs> and isn't that, like, his entire M.O. for everything is, like, there is a reason. I'll tell you, maybe, when the time is right. I'm not, you're not going to force my hand. The whole process of science and history and anthropology and everything is a process of it catching up with the Bible. So for somebody to go, uh, uh, I, I, want, <laughs> I want to apologize for the Bible, you're like, bro, <laughs> do you even science? <laughs> That's right. Well, I actually see that in Peter's first letter where he talks about the prophets of old and how they longed to understand what the Holy Spirit was inspiring them to write, but recognize it would be for a future generation to fully comprehend. So they knew that they were being inspired uh, by the God that they worshiped. And we get to find out why. Stay away from pork that's been in the sunshine too long. <laughs> God said that very early, man. And the people that didn't listen like the people who don't listen today got into serious trouble about it. <laughs> Our guest is Hugh Ross. The book is Rescuing Inerrancy, a scientific defense. Don't you dare go anywhere. Hey, thanks for listening to Steve Brown, etc. And if you're enjoying the show, would you help us let others know about it? You can share a link, click subscribe on our YouTube channel, or drop us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks much. Hi, this is Steve Brown, and I'm excited to tell you about a new offer from Key Life called <laughs> Living with Steve. Let me tell you the way it works. I travel with you wherever you go. If you need an entertaining conversation or even a sermon, there I am. That's the good news. The bad news is that it cost a million bucks. <laughs> but wait, there's good news. You can get everything I've just described with the Key Life app. And for a limited time, it's not a million dollars. It's free. Try it now at keylife.org app. Thanks for spending this time with us. We're hanging out with Dr. Hugh Ross. By the way, you can keep up with his work at reasons.org. Extremely deep and important website. Or you can follow him on Twitter. And that would be at slash XRTB underscore H Ross. And he told us when you weren't here that he answers all of the Twitter questions, and there are hundreds of them. So if you have a question, I know Hugh will appreciate you putting it on, <laughs> on X and uh, in his spare time. 
uh, he'll answer that particular question. Um, Hugh, you include a, a, a section on the dome myth, and uh, that seems to be in, in talking about how uh, not only uh, anti, enlightened anti-supernaturalists view uh, biblical perspective, but even theologians are, are getting tripped up with that. Uh, could you comment on that, just elaborate what that includes, and also maybe make a comment on just how sophisticated the astronomers of ancient times were? Sure. Well, the main attack against biblical inerrancy these days is what's called accommodationism, where the Holy Spirit accommodates the mistaken worldviews of the human authors. And the mistaken worldview they identify is that the people that were contemporary with the ancient Israelites, including the Israelites, believed that the world was flat, uh, that there was this metal dome over the earth with water above the dome, and how there was holes in the dome that explains the rainfall, and how the stars were attached to the inside of the dome, <laughs> including the sun, the moon, and the planets. And the claim that everybody in the ancient Near East uh, believed uh, this cosmology. Uh, but, you know, when I was a graduate student in astronomy, I took a course on the history of astronomy from the world's foremost expert on the history of astronomy. And uh, what I learned in that class, and I've gone into the scientific literature and see that what I learned uh, from Don Fernie indeed was correct, that the ancients actually invested way more in astronomical research than we do in the 21st century in terms of how much they invest of their gross national product, literally a hundred times more in the case of the ancient Egyptians. And I basically make the point, number one, they invested heavily in astronomy. We now know that Stonehenge is a stone observatory. If you don't have telescopes, uh, if you want to measure accurately the positions of stars and planets, you basically use these gigantic stone structures and use them as gun sites where you stand, say, a mile away and look through the cracks between the stones in order to make accurate measurements of the positions of the planets and the stars. Hmm. And it's not just Stonehenge. We now know there were thousands of stone observatories built by all the ancient peoples all around the world. And consequently, they knew full well that the Earth uh, was a spherical body, uh, they knew that the stars were objects like the sun, very distant. They knew the distance of the sun. They knew that the sun was the center of the solar system. They didn't have the mathematics to predict the future positions of planets from a sun-centered perspective, but they knew the approximate structure of the solar system. And even we astronomers in the 21st century use the astronomical records of the ancient Egyptians and the Sumerians in order to come up with more sophisticated and accurate models of the interiors of stars, because that way we get five or 6,000 years uh, worth of data uh, that we can use. And I think the fundamental problem is these theologians reading the ancient Near Eastern literature are failing to distinguish between their scientific literature, their historical literature, and their fantasy literature. I mean, one example I give in the book, what if archaeologists 1,500 years from now were digging up in the ruins of Hollywood 
and they found these film canisters of the Flintstones. <laughs> but they conclude that everybody in the 20th century must have believed that we were making pets out of dinosaurs and using it in the rock quarries. Uh, I mean, we have fantasy literature. That's one of the unique features of human beings. We invest heavily in fantasy, and that's counter to our best interests in survival. It's one of the evidences that we indeed are created in the image of God. The fact that we invest so much of our time and effort uh, in fantasy. Every culture has its fantasy literature. Hmm. And so, you know, there's an arrogance and self-righteousness involved in this whole discussion, isn't there? I mean, a reflection of Adam's original sin, might I say. <laughs> Guys, we gotta we gotta take a break, but we're but we're gonna return. Uh, you gotta get this book. It's not the kind of book you just flip through and you get because Hugh Ross is not the kind of person who writes things you flip through and get. He covers every issue in depth. He answers every question. He deals with every bit of the things that are said that are wrong and uh, incredibly wrong in some places when people are talking about biblical authority. Um, rescuing inerrancy, a scientific defense is the title of the book. And you can get it anywhere where good books are sold. And if your store doesn't carry it or your website doesn't, don't patronize them anymore. Guys, we're coming back. Don't go anywhere. Hey, thanks for listening to Steve Brown, etc. And if you're enjoying the show, chances are your friends and family would too, right? So help us spread the word by sharing a link, clicking subscribe on YouTube. And if you think about it, drop us a review on your favorite podcast platform, iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, we're pretty much everywhere. Hey, is there one called Podblaster? I mean, it feels like there should be, right? But like no E in Blaster, just Blaster, Blaster, Blaster. Anyhow, that's how the colons do it. When Christ promised we could live life to the full, he didn't just mean eventually in heaven, because Jesus didn't come to save us from our humanity, but to restore it. Life with a capital L. Find it now on keylife.org slash store. What if you could start your day by hanging out in God's Word and with some of the most significant theologians, authors, and pastors ever? That's the idea behind the one-year devotional, God With Us. Find it now on keylife.org slash store. Thanks for spending time with us. Here's a fun fact. We're now closing in on 10,000 subscribers on our YouTube channel. Frankly, I've been praying that the thing would die, and it keeps growing. What? I mean, it was a lot easier when it was just audio. We didn't have all this hassle you have to go through depending on every. You just turn the switch on mm -hmm. and did it. He doesn't like that little card at all, does he? <laughs> <laughs> but if you want to help us reach that 10,000 subscribers, uh, just go to youtube.com slash Key Life Network and click subscribe.
Every time you do that, you get three free sins. And you know you need it. <laughs> We're talking about uh, biblical inerrancy, and which seems like for a long time everybody's been, yeah, right. Bibles is it's solid, and, and yet you've got these people who've stepped forward and go, no, 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 uh, it's wrong, but we're going to make it up, apologize for the Bible. Let's take a step back. Why does that matter? What is the significance of the idea of the Bible being inerrant? What is the implications? Yeah, and I don't think any of the people I'm critiquing are saying the Bible is totally uh, filled with errors. They're saying, hey, when it speaks about the important mm -hmm. stuff, doctrine, and the way we treat one another, there it's inerrant. But we need to realize that there could be numerous mistakes on the science, the history, mm -hmm. and the geography. The problem with that approach is who gets to decide what's science and what's doctrine, right. uh, what's mm -hmm. history, and uh, what as human morality is speaking about. You now have these theologians basically being the ones in authority saying, this part you can trust, this part you can't. And it's like, well, uh, you know, it's basically humans now becoming the authority rather than God being the authority. And it was Jesus who said, the scripture cannot be broken. And I think when he was saying that, the context and the gospel account there is making it clear he's not referring to just part of the Bible. He's referring to the entirety of the Bible. Mm. And so if we see something that looks like, hey, this is where the science and the Bible seems to be contradicting. And this is what I love about the International Council of Biblical Inerrancy. They said, we need to look at our interpretation of the book of nature and the book of scripture and see if we've made a mistake. God has revealed himself through two completely trustworthy records. And it's our problem if we see a contradiction between the science and history. It's not a problem between what nature reveals and what the Bible reveals. And so these two different revelations from God are a tool that God uses to correct our faulty interpretations. Mm. Yeah, and every time we do the research, we resolve the problem. Mm. I don't th I can't yeah. think of a single case where it hasn't gotten resolved. Because mm. it, it seems to me to be a short trip between somebody going, well, you know, there's not original Adam and Eve because, okay. And, you know, actually, medically speaking, people don't come back to life from the dead after being in the mm -hmm. grave for three. Yeah, I mean, like, isn't that the logical conclusion? <laughs> like, are you, are you going to just explain away all the miraculous things? in Because, yes, those don't square with what we understand as natural. Anyhow. Uh, you, I think yeah. you're making a good point is that when we have an inter interpretive difficulty, it's so much easier to say, well, uh, the text is just wrong here. Uh, and rather than doing the hard homework of saying, let's dig into the science, let's dig into the theology and see if we can find a resolution. Because the Bible is very clear. God does not lie or deceive. Mm. Mm. Well, but and and don't you as you as you move farther down, I guess for lack of a better terminology, move farther down the road into more the everyday stuff that people deal with. It, that's where people start picking and choosing what they want. Well, I'm, I'm apply this to my life, 
but but I'm but I'm not going to apply that. And somebody else says, well, well, okay, but you can do that. But I, I'll apply this, but I I won't apply that. I come in contact so frequently with people who, you know, make announcements about what they believe is 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 no longer correct for whatever reason, and 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 you want to say. But isn't that, but it, didn't the same person who said that say this, and, and you believe that? It, it just seems like it's a never-ending yeah. slippery slope. That if God lies in one place, he'll yeah. lie what in another. Yeah, what keeps right. him from right. lying someplace else? It just unravels. Well, I love what in Second Timothy, that the word is there to correct and rebuke. Yes. And we're going to pick and choose, then how can I correct and rebuke us? Mm-hmm can't mm. yeah um hugh the um it would seem like it is would be surprising to a lot of people maybe the theologians that they might have heard of have drifted into some of these uh areas i'm not necessarily asking you to name names although you do in the book but talk some about where um uh, you know the people that would be considered evangelical uh, you know, conservative uh, theologically um, are are having trouble with this uh, idea of inerrancy in some of these specific kind of um, call it uh, supernatural or whatever uh, perspectives. Well, you know, I speak at seminaries quite frequently, and I remember at one uh, major seminary they were saying, "Well, we have to adjust what the Bible is saying." about Adam and Eve, uh, because there's no way that Francis Collins is wrong on the genetics. Francis Collins, you know, a Christian geneticist, head of the Genome Project, wrote a book, The Language of God, where he said, hey, genetics tells us that humans come from a population of thousands. He said 10,000 plus. And, you know, I've met Francis Collins. He's a Christian. I admire his character. Uh, and I love the fact that we partnered together to do a two views book on Adam and Eve and biblical inerrancy. Uh, he said, you know, we need to have a book uh, where two Christian organizations that strongly disagree with one another disagree in a spirit of charity. And mm-hmm. I love that spirit of Francis Collins. Mm-hmm. But I remember talking to these theologians saying, do you understand the genetics that Francis Collins is communicating? They said, no, we haven't got a clue, but he can't be wrong. Wow. So we actually read geneticists who disagree with him. No, I don't have the capability of reading that. Well, then why are you abandoning the doctrine that all of us are descended from Adam and Eve if you don't comprehend the science and you haven't actually checked to see what the dialogue is in the scientific literature on this particular subject? And that's why I, as a scientist, it was... Basically, how I wrote the book, it was a team of conservative theologians that came to me and said, there's a crisis in the theological community. You need to write this book, and we'll back you up. Oh, man. I'm glad you did. We're out of time. Seems to me we just started. But you, you have done it again. You've gotten some very complicated, difficult to understand, profound material you got the fodder down low enough for me to even understand what you're saying. And we rise up and call you blessed. I hope we can do this again sometime really soon. 
Guys, we're going to come back like Jesus, but only for one reason, to tell you who we're going to do it unto next week. Don't go anywhere. Hey, thanks for listening to Steve Brown, etc. And if you're enjoying the show, would you help us let others know about it? You can share a link, click subscribe on our YouTube channel, or drop us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks much. What if you could start your day by hanging out in God's Word and with some of the most significant theologians, authors, and pastors ever? That's the idea behind the one-year devotional, God With Us. Find it now on keylife.org store. This is Pete Allenson, and if you're a guy, I want to show you how to recover and reclaim an intimate, growing relationship with your Heavenly Father. Check out Like Father, Like Son, How Knowing God as Father Changes Men. Available now at keylife.org store. Believer, I want you to remember that where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And you will run out of sin before God runs out of grace. Grace, the real good news of the gospel. Find it now on keylife.org store. We love you, Ross, and we love him for a lot of reasons. Uh, Extreme humility, extreme kindness. He absolutely deals with a lot of criticism with gentleness and balance and rational responses that absolutely blow you away. And then he's our friend, and so we love it when he comes on. And he's dealing with a really important subject. You don't have to deal with it a whole lot. Uh, You know, you open the Bible, you realize this is different. This book understands me, and then it begins to draw you into the Word, which is Jesus. But there are foundational things that are very important, and sometimes we forget about that, and uh, Hugh Ross has done us a great service in reminding us that the Bible is true, that it's accurate, that when it speaks, it's the voice of God speaking to you. You can order your life by its principles. You can understand history and what God was about because it is his story, and he was careful in giving it to us. I remember when that became true to me, and, uh, and shortly thereafter, I decided that my calling was to be a Bible teacher. That way, I could hold up the Bible and say, if you're mad at me, don't. I didn't say this. God said it. And you feel a lot better about it if you can go argue with God and leave me alone. Okay. <laughs> Listen, who's going to be on next time? Next time, our friend Andrew Farley is going to be with us. And interestingly... Andrew does not have a new book out, um, but we're going to play catch up with Andrew and find out some of the things that have been going on with him because we are hoping this year, sometime later this year, to partner with Andrew and do some some stuff on uh, some online an online event with him. He's one of the really good guys. So, yes. And he's got, I mean, he has a gazillion people that 
follow him, uh, and we'll bring our 12, and <laughs> it'll be a great, fun event. But no, I'm just kidding. So we have the, more than 12. So the venue is open. I mean, we can talk about anything that Andrew likes to talk about. Mm-hmm. And talk and talk about what's going on, you know, with some of the things that he's been, been doing, you know, over the last year or so. Hey, that's going to be a great program. We hope you will join us for it. Same time, same place. Between now and then, don't do anything we wouldn't do. And that gives you a wide, wide variety.